And would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word? So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, My father and my brothers, with their flocks and herds, and all that they possess, have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. And from among his brothers he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds, as our fathers were. They said to Pharaoh, We have come to sojourn in the land. For there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now, please let your servants dwell on the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food, according to the number of their dependents. Now, there was no food in all the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by reason of the famine. And Joseph gath gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, in exchange for the grain that they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. And when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? For our money is gone. And Joseph answered, Give your livestock, and I will give you food in exchange for your livestock if your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the herds, and the donkeys. He supplied them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. And when that year was ended, they came to him the following year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent. The herds of livestock are my Lord's. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food. And we with our land will be servants to Pharaoh. And give us seed that we may live and not die and that the land may not be desolate. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for all the Egyptians sold their fields because the famine was severe on them. The land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he made servants of them from one end of Egypt to the other. Only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had a fixed allowance from Pharaoh and lived on the allowance that Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have this day bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. And at the harvests, you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four-fifths shall be your own, as seed for the field, and as food for yourselves, and your households, and as food for your little ones. And they said, You have saved our lives. 
May it please my Lord, we will be servants to Pharaoh. So Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt, and it stands to this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth. The land of the priests alone did not become Pharaoh's. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it, and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt seventeen years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were 147 years. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. He answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, Swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, before I go here in prayer, I just want to, there's a lot happening at Reliance. There's kids ministry, there's a missions team, there's small groups, um, there's uh, just uh, we're starting men's ministry, starting up here soon. Um, well, not that it hasn't, but more, more things to come there. And There's a lot to talk about. I just want to say real quick how thankful I am. You guys showed up last week. We have a church plant coming this next week, and we talked last week about this annual meeting. I'm going to touch back with this next week and, and uh, hit this back and just remind you the things that we talked about in short. But if you weren't there, would you grab one of these things um, and look over it and reflect on it? We're asking you um, uh, some certain things to consider this next year, and we'd love um, to invite you to participate. And so next year, next week, I'm going to touch back on that. Um, and we're almost done with Genesis. Uh, it's this week and next week. And uh, my thought is, is that uh, we could go to the New Testament, um, but then I've decided that it's just unhelpful to finish with Genesis and move to the New Testament understanding its context for the book of Exodus. And it's just a rare opportunity that we get to do them back to back, and I want to capitalize on that. And so we're going to stay in the Old Testament for the next following 11 weeks and walk through at a very high pace through the book of Exodus. Um, that's my hope. That's my goal. Um, we might find ourselves in 15 weeks. Maybe we'll see. But um, my goal is to do it in 11 weeks. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for the life that you've given Reliance. Um, you use us. We're grateful for the way that you have uh, strengthened our marriages. We're grateful that you've restored our relationship with you through Christ and has played a part in the way that we raise our own children. Lord, I pray that it would play an impact in the way that we work, the way that we go to school. Lord, that the hope that was set before us in Christ would always remain. I even consider in the text this morning the position that Jacob and Joseph and his brothers were in as sojourners. But we can relate to that reality ourselves. Um, we feel like we're in a foreign land. It's not our home. Um, and Lord, I just pray that you would just convict us of something through this text. Something that we ourselves can identify with so closely. In Jesus' name, amen. There's something in this part of Genesis that's striking. 
I fear it for myself. I've feared it even more so for my children. My grandfather and my grandparents feared it. And it was the fear of assimilation. And unlike every, any other generation, I, I admit it that this has become more and more of a concern as I watch my children grow up. I know it was a fear for my own parents that when, the, when I was outside of their house, how was I going to live my life in the midst of a world that walks and thinks entirely different? Will I, will they assimilate? And within the context of this story in Genesis 46 and 47, it is a concern for Jacob. It's a concern for his sons, including Joseph. And they call themselves sojourners. The reason why we, we recognize, but the idea is not just a historical perspective, it's also a perspective that Christians have of themselves. And recognizing that while they got to live in Goshen, it wasn't home. Peter, even later after Christ died and ascended, sits at the right hand of the Father, encouraged those who responded to Christ with that, this same perspective. 1 Peter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. You're not home. And in the midst of this reality, even Peter himself urges them, don't assimilate. Don't take the practices and the patterns of the world that is so common and assimilate you yourself into them. And as we've walked through the book of Genesis, there have been a few who've done it. I mean, not assimilated. Remember, it was Noah. No one was righteous except for Noah who walked with God and God had favor on Noah. And Noah and, and his family, it seems, Noah particularly, has found a way to walk in a way to honor the Lord and not assimilate. And he's the one of a kind, so to speak. Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac, with all their issues, have sojourned in a place in which is not their home. And so when Jacob stands before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh asks him, how old are you, what you've done? In Genesis 47, 9, this is what Jacob said. The days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. Paraphrase, it's been hard. It's been hard. Well, one, <laughs> you made it pretty hard, Jacob. You lived a life that not trusting, but it's been hard. It's been hard for my children. And they not obtain the days and the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their sojourning. It's hard for them too. Yet in the midst of their sojourning, what gave them hope was this promise. It was repeated as we've gone through, and I won't for the sake of time, through the book of Genesis, this common theme of a promise. Theme of a promise. Again, 
We didn't read it this morning, but in Genesis 46, 2 through 4, Jacob, you're sojourning. Yes, it's hard, but God's going to do something. God spoke to Israel, Jacob, in vision of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. And he said, I'm God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, a place that's not your home, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I also will bring you up again in Joseph's hand. So close your eyes. Give me a promise. So when they went to Goshen or they went into Egypt, they knew it wasn't home. And it became quite obvious, like, it was supposed to be a temporary place, but this temporary place is going to not be one or two years. It's going to end up being 400 years. Now, I could imagine the fear of assimilation even compounds with the length of time. It was a concern of Jacob, it was a concern of even uh, his sons in Genesis 47, as it was read this morning, verse 4. They admit, we have come to sojourn in this land. It's not home. That's how you introduce yourself to Pharaoh, right? We're not here to stick around. We're just going to stay up in the attic for a few years. You won't even notice us. No, let's be clear. We're sojourners. This is not the place in which is home. For there is no pastures for the flocks where we are, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now please, let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. One of the themes I think will become clear here in a moment here is how does one serve in the place that God has placed you? Because Jacob, his sons, and Joseph all admit God brought us to Egypt. They acknowledge this. Why are we in Egypt? God brought us here. So they recognize this responsibility to serve within the community which God has placed them. Yet at the same time, how do they serve in the community which God has placed them and yet assimilate, not assimilate themselves and become Egyptian? And that concern becomes a regular pattern of concern, not in the book of Genesis, but it will carry on through the rest of the Old Testament and including into Peter's day. How do you serve in our present context today? Because we recognize that God has placed you in Tri-Cities, not in Spokane, because if God had placed you in Spokane, that's where you would be. But now that you know you're in Tri-Cities, how do you serve within this community without assimilating yourself within the community as a sojourner? Challenge here is for Joseph and Jacob and his family. The challenge remains the same for us here as well. And so I'd just like to ask that question. And one, the, story, the first point, I just want to make it abundantly clear the concern that they had for assimilation. You may not have seen it in the text in today's reading because the actual admitting of the concern is in Genesis 46. Because Egyptian was viewed as a temporary residence, there was this concern for Jacob and his families to lose their assimilation. You can see the concern in Genesis 46, verse 33 and 34. Read it with me. Joseph comes to his brothers and he says this. When Pharaoh calls you, 
and says, what is your occupation? This is what you'll say. You shall say, your servants have been keeping livestock from our youth even until now. But we and our fathers, in order that we may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to Egyptians. Clever. Concerned about their assimilation into Egyptian lifestyle, Joseph knows what Egyptians don't like. What do they don't like? Shepherders. They are an abomination. It's not a positive word. Uh, it's a term in which references like the job of shepherding is beneath us. There's one point in my life that I recognized it was a unique thing to be one living in Tri-Cities. I flew to Seattle, and we, you know those little buses that take you from one part of the, the side of the airport to the other side of the airport? I was sitting in there getting from one side of the airport to the other side of the airport, and there was another gal who lived in Seattle that was flying out, and she starts talking to me. She goes, where are you from? And I said, I'm from Tri-Cities. And she goes, the place where they have the nuclear waste? <laughs> like, and I said, yes. And she backed away from me. <laughs> and that it was the end of the conversation. I don't know if you've experienced that. I thought it was striking. From her perspective, those who were from Tri-Cities were an abomination. We were those, I'd laugh at it now, we're okay. Um, in, tw in 20 years, it'll be the vitamin of the Pacific Northwest. We'll live long lives. We'll have a third arm, but it's all right. Um, but the reality is, is that it was the, is a perspective for some who work with nuclear waste is to be beneath. The shepherder was not assimilated into the practice of Egyptians because it was beneath their lifestyle. We have these in our own culture. Like there's certain things that we don't want to do and so they're casted off to a particular people or group or trade or skill set. For shepherding, the Egyptians were or looked down upon those who tended to the flocks. And fearing the assimilation, Joseph says, when Pharaoh calls, knowing their culture, he says, Tell them we're shepherders. And when we do that, we will be able to live in Goshen freely. And this is exactly what they do. They stand before Pharaoh and they say, not only are we shepherders, our forefathers were shepherders and we ain't changing. And Pharaoh's like, well, then get out of town. Goshen looks great. And he places them out. And mind you, they recognize why they're in Egypt. They're in Egypt because God has placed them there. He's told them to go. Jacob specifically, go, don't be afraid to go down to Egypt. So they recognize the divine sovereignty which had brought them there. But in the midst of that, they also recognize this concern to be so brought into the Egyptian culture to be fully assimilated within it. And creatively, they found a way, understanding the society, to be able to both not assimilate with the culture, but then also to serve it. And I want you to see 
just because they were concerned about not becoming assimilated into it, did they say then we don't have to think that we don't have to serve it was not the pattern which they picked up. In fact, because they believed God had placed them there, they took their assimilation very seriously to not participate in point two. It is a chapter in which expresses their intense desire or want to actually make Egypt prosperous. You'll see this even in Joseph's brothers as they admit point two. All they want to do Look at verse 47, chapter 47, and just show you how they served this country that they didn't want to assimilate into. It's interesting. To be fair, if you're viewed by the Egyptians as the abomination, if you're the sojourner, strike one. I don't want to serve a community that looks down upon me, right? This is not the attitude of which they take. In fact, Pharaoh himself, when he hears their concern, he says to the brothers of Joseph, why don't you take care of my flocks? And they will take up the tradition of caring for Pharaoh's livestock and serve him faithfully through the generations that they're there. And so while assimilation was a concern, service was not. Jacob himself twice is mentioned upon being before Pharaoh, upon blessing this king of Egypt. And so while he concerned, was concerned with assimilation, he was not of the mindset of not being a blessing. Rather, he is the one who gives blessing. You can see, let me read the second occurrence. Genesis 47, 10. If you'll track with me, right? As Christians, we can recognize there's a fear of assimilation. And in our concern of assimilation, we tend to sometimes disconnect from the society which God has placed us. This is not what this family does. Jacob, upon being before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from his presence of Pharaoh. Two, not only does Joseph's brothers serve the king, Jacob himself blesses the king, Pharaoh. Third, there is a great deal of information provided to us in Joseph's service of what he has done for this pagan king. One, in the midst of the famine, clearly we know with Joseph, above all others, he has been placed in Egypt by the mighty hand of God. He has walked this life without becoming assimilated, but yet still being an incredible blessing to the kingdom. One, through his service in the midst of the famine, he is going to bring Pharaoh to a higher position before Joseph was there. One, he's going to make Pharaoh filthy rich. Through his schemes or through his plan, he has prepared the means to provide themselves to get through the famine. That when the people of the kingdom need the resource to eat, they come to Joseph. Look at Genesis 47, 13. Now there was no food in the land, in all the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by reason of, fam of the famine. The first thing which Joseph does through his service is he establishes Pharaoh financially. Look at verse 14. 
And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt. He gathered up all the land, the money of the land of Canaan in exchange for the grain that they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. Eventually, as you remember, as you read the story, once the money's all gone, the means to buy grain to eat becomes rather difficult. So what do you do? Not only does Joseph serve Pharaoh in this, this season, he also provides the next means for the people in Egypt to get food. And in the meantime, while Pharaoh is established financially through Joseph, he is also established agriculturally through Joseph. Look at Genesis 47, verse 17. So, you don't have any money? Bring the livestock. So they brought their livestock to Joseph. And Joseph gave them food in exchange for their horses and their flocks and their herds and their donkeys, and he supplied them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. And what does he do? He brings it before Pharaoh again. So Joseph, Jacob, and his brothers are foreigners. Yet in their service, they're serving the king. He's becoming more financially established, agriculturally established. The third thing, he is becoming territorially established. Look at Genesis 47, 18 through 20. And when the year was ended, they have no money, they have no livestock, how do you eat? And when the year was ended, they came to him the following year and said, we will not hide from the Lord that our money's all spent. The herds of the livestock are my Lord's. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord by our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land, by us and our land, by us and our land? They're actually selling themselves to Joseph, to Pharaoh, or to Pharaoh through Joseph. Sell, our, sell ourselves and our land for food, and we with our land will be servants to Pharaoh. Exchange and give us this seed that we may live and not die, and the land may not be desolate. To Joseph, but all the land of Egypt, for Pharaoh, for all the Egyptians sold their fields because the famine was severe on the land, severe on them, and the land became Pharaoh's. Strange. Joseph is a sojourner. He's not even a citizen of this kingdom, yet he's been positioned as this foreign entity to be the people, the mediator between Pharaoh and his land, his money, and his people. And what does Joseph do? He serves the king. Jacob blesses the king. Joseph's brothers tend to the king's cattle. Strange perspective if they are truly abomination. Not only that, while now Pharaoh has been established financially, agriculturally, and territorially, he is further established through Joseph in authority. Fourth and final. Thank you for tracking with me. It'll become here a second quite clear. What Joseph and these men are doing in this perspective of sojourners. Genesis 47, 21. As for the people, he made servants of them from one end of Egypt to another. 23 through 24. And Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have this day bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here's seed for you, and you shall sow the land, and at the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, 
and for four-fifths you'll be your own. As seed for the field and as food for yourselves and your household, as food for your, and as food for your little ones. There, at this point, the people of Egypt bankrupt. They sold their money, they sold their cattle, they sold their land, and they've sold themselves into the service of Pharaoh through the man who's an abomination of Egypt, him and his family. What's their response? What's their response? Look at verse 25. See, And they said, you have saved our lives and may it please my Lord, we will be servants to Pharaoh. Their response? Gratitude. You've kept us alive. They feared assimilation, yet in their fear of assimilation, it wasn't the means by which they become disconnected from the society which God has placed them. Rather, they served the place in which God has placed them and provided the means for a people who viewed them as beneath them. And God, using that perspective, flipped it on its head, and those people become the people which says, you've saved us. Doesn't that sound familiar? Like when we come to the New Testament, Christ himself, let's go to our convictional response. Christ himself reminds us of the perspective of those from the world will view those who decide to follow God with their lives. In Matthew chapter 3 and chapter 4, he reminds his disciples, you'll be despised, rejected, you'll face persecution. All these things which Joseph himself bore. And yet through the gracious hand of God, God has used this family, which feared this assimilation into Egypt, as the means by which would save a nation through this, this individual, Joseph. And we recognize, and as Peter, he, he, he doesn't call the early Christians to totally disengage themselves from the society which God has placed them. Can I remind you and read you the word again? First Peter chapter 2, verse 11, this idea of sojourning. We're not home. Jacob, his brothers, and Joseph were not home. And yet, Peter says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your souls. You know you're not home. So don't assimilate into the, way, the patterns of the world, but rather, look at verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. You're going to be viewed negatively, no doubt. But don't pull back. Be honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. It's so interesting that Peter does this, Paul does this, Christ confirms it that because of our relationship with God, there's this human tendency to want to withdraw from the place which God has placed us in service. And in concern of this assimilation, he, they, they have to press the readers of the church, no, engage. Just don't pick up the lifestyle. Engage and serve the community that you're in. Look at 1 Peter 4 through 5. 
But he continues to say, for the time that is past is sufficient for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Like, don't assimilate. But with respect to this, they're surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. You're beneath them. Frustrated on parties, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. You would think, because we recognize we're not home, and we don't want to fully assimilate into these things, that it would be easy just to just then let's just let's just have you ever thought of this? Let's go find some property in Idaho that's out in the middle of no in the mountains, and then we could create the perfect God honoring society. That would be so. I, Idaho, think about it. They have rivers. Oh, I love creek fishing. Um, it'd be fun. You could send your kids. We could create a whole society where the school system will raise up your child to know the Lord and no math. It'd be heaven on earth. There's something in me that wants to do that. Because I am like Jacob. Few and are good of the days, and more, I have seen much more evil all my life. Where's you When you recognize this isn't no. You just want to get out and be free from it. That Peter would have to say, just as Paul would say to the Christians. Look at 1 Peter 2 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake. To every human institution, whether it be to the emperor or as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil, to praise those who do good. You don't tell them to run, but to be a blessing to the leadership or the countries in which that God has placed them. For this is the will of God that by doing good you shall not you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. It is so nice where Joseph and his family is. Pharaoh loves him. I mean, why won't you? Been rich. Give him cattle, land, and more authority. That's not always been the case, has it, historically? In fact, it takes a man like Daniel a bit of time to win over Nebuchadnezzar. But Daniel and his friends' faithfulness to Nebuchadnezzar transforms a pagan man into a God-fearing man. And while I'm tempted like you and concerned for my own children to flee the city, fear of assimilation, what has God called us to do? Serve it. Serve it in goodness Serve it for its benefit. And granted, not as always done like Joseph's day. There's other examples where it doesn't fare well. But how it, wouldn't it be cool if the culture of Christianity in the state of Washington, that the governors, when they're established, would look at the Christian community and say, they're serving me for my benefit. That does not mean to agree with the governor's perspective on all things. In fact, it would be good that we make those things known. But if they were perceived and received in the aspect of 
what we say is good for you and this nation, the state. We might be fulfilling what Christ has called disciples to do, to go out to all the nations, disciple them. Don't retreat. I don't do this very often. I'd like to conclude with just this perspective by just reading first century Christian pastor. So this is after all the apostles have died. And they recognize the same challenge as just Joseph and his family. Like, how do we, how do we not assimilate but then also serve as God's intended and placed us? And here is the perspective. And it's just hear it. How he talks about the pattern of Christian life as it is spread throughout the world. How they have lived within the places that God has given them, but not assimilated, but served it. Man that writes this is called Second Clement. He writes, Christians are not distinguished from the rest of humanity by country, language, or custom, right? There's Jews, there's Gentiles, come from all different backgrounds and different languages. For nowhere do they live in the cities of their own, nor do they speak some unusual dialect, nor do they practice any eccentric lifestyle. They don't stand out. This teaching of theirs has not been discovered by their thought or reflection of ingenious men, nor do they promote any human doctrine as some do. But while they live in both Greek and barbarian cities, as each one's lot was cast, God placed them there, and follow the local customs, and they follow local customs in dress and food and other aspects of life. At the same time, they demonstrate the remarkable and admittedly unusual character of their own citizenship. They're sojourners. Yeah, we're a Roman country, but our citizenship is in heaven. They live in their own countries, but only as aliens. They participate in everything as citizens, but endure everything as foreigners. Every foreign country is their for, every foreign country is their fatherland. How is that could be? God made everything, and He's our God. So whether we're in Asia, oh, God made that my land too. Why? Because God made it, and He's my Lord. But even though it's a foreign country, it's my fatherland, their fatherland, and every fatherland at the same time is foreign. Why? Because Christ had not come and established His kingdom yet. They marry like everyone else and have children, but they do not expose their offspring. They don't assimilate them. They share their food. I think this is hilarious, but not their wives. (laughs) They don't assimilate. Yet, at the same time, they're willing to serve in the places that God has placed them. They are in the flesh, but they do not live according to the flesh. They live on earth, but their citizenship is in heaven. They obey the established laws. Indeed, in their private lives, they they transcend the laws. They love everyone. And by everyone, they are persecuted. They are the abomination 
Jacob's paraphrase. They are unknown, and yet they are condemned. They are put to death, yet they are brought to life. They are, po they are poor, yet they make many rich. They serve. They are indeed in need of everything, yet they abound in everything. They are dishonored, yet they are glorified in their dishonor. This is a great pastor. They are slandered, and yet they are vindicated. Why? Because God is their God through Christ Jesus, who has saved them from their sins. They are cursed, yet they are blessed. They are insulted, and yet they offer respect. And when they do good, they are punished as evildoers. And when they are punished, they, are re they rejoice as though brought to life. They're confusing people. By the Jews, they are assaulted as foreigners, and by the Greeks, they are persecuted. Yet those who hate them are unable to give a reason for their hostility. In a word, this is striking. What the soul is to the body, Christians are to the world. The soul is dispersed through all the members of the body and Christians through the cities of the world. The soul dwells in the body, but is not of the body. Likewise, Christians dwell in the world, but are not of the world. And he'll go on to say, if you take the soul out of the body, what happens? The body dies. God loves Egypt. He loves Jacob's family too. So what did he do? He sent Jacob sons and Joseph to serve it. And in their service, they recognized not to be assimilated into the culture. And as they served it, the people of that culture, which viewed them in abomination, say, he saved us. In the same way, we have a greater truth than they. The same God. And that in our service to this community, as we proclaim the hope in Christ Jesus. May they hear its truths and its fantastic blessing that you can be saved from your sins and be set aside for, an, for all eternity in a new land without any sin. Where the relationship with God is forever based upon Christ. And I pray that your ears and my ears will hear the same thing as a result of our service to this city in the day and the beginnings of eternity, a people which say, through your faithfulness, you saved us. Because we didn't retreat. We saw the opportunity to serve what God says to us. Let's pray. Lord, in days like this, it is, we long for another place. A place to retreat, to find rest. You in the days of evil, and evil are the days of Jacob's life, we could say, yeah, there hasn't been a lot of times and seasons where, where our nation's been moving towards righteous standards. Feels like it's going the other way. Would you keep us for this time as that we are being more and more, for our views, perceived as inferior? Let us be a people who hold to those truths and yet still serve this community. In our schools, 
in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our outreach ministries, proclaiming Christ always, so that we might enjoy the kingdom to come for all eternity with them. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and worship.